Welcome to the Drawscast Podcast. Inspiration, motivation, and leadership with an attitude. And now, coming to you live from the palatial Drawscast Studios and streaming worldwide, ladies and gentlemen, Draws. So the front row, uh, and as we discussed, and, and as you know, uh, the people who come into the draws casters trying to get some nuggets, uh, golden nuggets, as I would call it, of information in regards to leadership. And your front row um, style or your, your front row uh, message is something that you have taken and applied that into the leadership realm too. Right. Leadership front row or front row leadership. Front row leadership. Top performers do not settle for balcony seats. I interviewed so many executives and one of them, Lorna Donatone, was running um, Sodexo North America, which was one of the largest food service distribution companies Mm -hmm. in the world. Um, She said, oh, yeah, nothing good happens uh, in the back of the room. And she said, when I go to an event or when I go anywhere, I always go to the front row because you never know who you get to rub elbows with, who, who else is in the front row. Cause the movers and the shakers, man, they're in the front row. So yes, when I talk about front row leadership and front row success, the, literally the front row could be something that you literally go and sit at, at a conference, at an event, at a company meeting, or it could be really figuratively speaking when you are in flow, when you are operating at your best, when you are doing draws, like no one else can do draws, man, <laughs> you are in the front row. When you're hanging back and just filling your mind with maybe um, self-doubt or fear, which is the number one thing that prevents people from getting to their front row, um, you don't perform as as well. You, you, You get passed by and you show up different. But when you are letting go of fear and you're overcoming any doubt and you go for it and you succeed, you start to have more success, you show up different. You walk different. Mm-hmm. And people resonate with you differently. And as leaders, it's it's our job to find out from um, our team individually what does the front row look like for them. And then our job is to usher them to that front row however they define it. It's yeah. just like the old saying, well, how do you motivate um, a large group of people? How do you motivate a company? How do you motivate a team? Well, you... You don't. You motivate individuals. Well, how do you motivate individuals? You ask. What motivates you? What drives you? What's your true north? What? Where do you feel best? When you are like at the top of your game, what are you doing? What does that look like? What brings you joy? What brings you happiness? And that conversation will turn into, okay, well, let me find a way to help support you in getting there. Exactly. Exactly. And that leads to the whole idea of servant leadership. And one of the things that uh, I do, whether it would be with uh, my video blogs or with the podcast, is to get a different perspective and a different look at at leadership. I've, I've talked to some people from the military. I've talked to other speakers like you. I've talked to uh, you know, some athletes and it's all a little bit different, but to me, uh, I think the most effective, uh, leadership, especially for now that it's the, the millennials and the Gen Z's is, uh, is this idea of servant leadership. Yeah. Now 
I understand that you have a story uh, in regards to servant leadership. Well, I, I do believe that sometimes we really do get in our own way. We get in our own head and we start to compare ourselves to other people and we start to mm-hmm. allow fear to seep into our daily lives. And so when I talk about how to get to the front row of your life, I talk about, you know, having a great attitude, having a great sense of humor having a specific vision, all of these things that, you know, a lot of motivational speakers talk about. It's not new. But then I suggest that when all else doesn't seem to be working for you, then you know what? Let go of what's going on with you and be of service to someone else. Do something outside of yourself that helps somebody else, that makes their day, that uh, lends somebody else a helping hand. Do it in a way that they, you know that they can never pay you back because mm-hmm. that's just really good for the soul. It's good for somebody else. It, you can't help but feel better about your situation when you help someone else through their situation. So the story that you're alluding to is one of my favorite stories about being of service because Frenchie and I, my husband, Eve, I call him Frenchie, we went down, we were invited by Scott McCain and um, it was Mike Rayburn and Tara Rayburn at the time, they, they invited us to go on Thanksgiving Day, group of speakers here in Las Vegas and their spouses, if we would go down to North Las Vegas and if we could um, spend the day feeding the homeless a big, huge um, Thanksgiving lunch. And everybody had a different role. It was an amazing day. My role was to greet, I was a greeter. So I was greeting all the homeless to come into the park and go through the line and pick up as much food as they wanted. We had plates and silverware and drinks. And and, uh, I was just, you know, doing my thing. And on the way home, something happened that made me say, I will never feed the homeless again. And that was eight years ago. And since then I have never fed the homeless. And here's what happened. My sister called me on the phone as we were driving back to the house. And she asked me how my Thanksgiving was. And I said, well, Frenchie and I had a great day. We went down and we fed the homeless. And while I was talking to my sister, he interrupted me. And I'm like, I'm on the phone. He's like, no, this is too important. You know, with his French accent, he said, no, He said, he corrected me. He said, Marilyn, we feed dogs and we serve the homeless. And from that day forward, it was such a shift in my mindset is that we are not feeding anybody. We are being of service to our fellow human being. And when you serve someone, you, um, it takes away all the judgment and all the comparison and all the wondering why they are homeless. You just come from a place of service. And so every Saturday since then, so we're going on, I think we just celebrated eight years of service down at Catholic Charities. Every Saturday that we're in town, we serve anywhere from 300 to 650 of our homeless population through um, a commercial dining um, hall. And um, it's a beautiful facility. And uh, we're regulars on Saturdays. So it's really fun because there's different volunteers every time we show up. And sometimes there are students from high school getting some, you know, points for uh, community service. Sometimes there Mm -hmm. are different church groups. Sometimes there are UNLV students that are coming to be of service. And sometimes it's just WIN employees because WIN sends their employees for community service and they love it so much. They they come in more than is expected. Anyway, I always have a pre-shift meeting. You know all about being in the restaurant industry. You you know all about a pre-shift meeting. 
So yes. right before they open the doors, I always say, okay, gather around everybody. Um, we have a, um, we call it a Saturday morning philosophy. Um, this is our theme of the morning. And our theme is that we serve with joy and dignity. So the joy part comes that every single guest that comes through our line, we smile, we give them eye contact, and we say something like, good morning, hi, how are you? Come on in, it's good to see you. Something to the effect of a welcome. So that's the joy part with a smile and eye contact. And the second part is the, um, the dignity. And the dignity part is that we have no judgment that they are on that side of the counter and we are on this side of the counter. Because it, when you get into a service position and you're giving someone a beautiful, beautifully prepared hot meal and they don't say thank you, it's really easy for us to say, uh, hello, it's free, it's not costing anything, which yeah. is extremely judgmental. So I remind these volunteers, especially for the ones that have never served on a food line before um, to a homeless population, I remind them, we have no idea what they went through before they got in front of us today. We have no idea what they had to walk through just to get this meal mm -hmm. or how hard it was to show up to receive this meal. So it's not our place to judge them. Um, we don't know if they haven't had food in a week. We don't know if their blood sugar is so bad that they can't even think clearly. We don't know if they don't have any more meds left and they're a little off. We, we don't know and we won't know. So we, for one hour, we just serve with joy and dignity. And the beautiful part, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. The beautiful part is that they notice. They're like, wow, everybody seems to be in a good mood today. And because there's a whole line of people saying, hi, how are you? Welcome, without any judgment, it reflects on them. And they can't help have a more joyful experience. Yeah. It's really a beautiful thing. So I encourage I encourage people to find a local food bank where they live and just to find a way to be of service. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and just serving, it, it does. It helps you forget about uh, yourself and oh, your problems. It puts life into perspective. Yeah, right? and, and, and I think, you know, what you alluded to also is, you know, it, it's not our place to judge because you never know. Uh, what people are going through. Yeah. Have you ever uh, spoke to Chick-fil-A? I have not. I'd love to, though. It's on my bucket list. Okay. Yeah, because one of their big things is, uh, you know, the, and they have it in their training videos, is you never know who or what is on the other side of the counter. Mm. And they show pictures of, of people just sitting down to eat and one says, uh, you know, dad just lost his job and, and this will be the last time that they go out or this uh, grandfather uh, just uh, survived cancer and they're out celebrating. And then there were a couple of other sad ones as well. But the point is, is you don't judge, you just you just serve. And we did have Little Caesars come and have a huge truck where they delivered pizzas in our job. We didn't have to cook that day, but we were just serving up hot, hot pizza. Man, that put a smile on every single person's face that day. So I don't know if you had anything to do with that, but we all appreciated it that day. Well, sure. I <laughs> <laughs> I'll take some credit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the the Little Caesars Love Kitchen, 
Talk about uh, serving people. The uh, Little Caesars Love Kitchen has served over 3 million people over the last, we'll say, 30 years or so. Mm. Um, and now there are four trucks that are out and about. Um, and at one time there was just one. So that was just one of four that you, that it's a beautiful you saw. Thing. Yeah, it really, really is. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so you, uh, you, your business is still going strong. Well, we're pivoting for sure. So I have clients that are calling me to say, you know, um, you have a workshop on dealing with change. Um, that's, that's a hot topic right now. So I am just converting my slides to make sure they're um, virtually um, compatible. And yeah. so, yeah, people are reaching out to me to say, hey, can you do a webinar on um, managing, sh- uh, managing change with a positive mindset? Because when we're going through this pandemic and we're shifting everything, um, it, I have a program that helps people recognize that you either deal with it as a victim, a vacationer, or a volunteer. And a victim and a vacationer, they don't handle things really well, and the sky is falling, and they're obsessed with the news, and they're obsessed with social media, and just getting deeper and deeper into the darkness that um, doesn't seem to have the light of day. Um, or you can look at things with the mindset of a, of a volunteer, a volunteer who steps up to the plate and says, okay, things are different. Let's be open to the possibilities that we still can get through this. And this will just shift the way we do things. So let's be creative. And I'm open to creative ideas. Mm-hmm. And because I have a voice, I'm open to giving you um, some ideas of my own. I have a voice. I have an idea. I have a suggestion. And let's just start listening to each other to come up with a collaborative resource to make it through because I think we're going to make it through this and I, I want to be here for you and I want to support you and what else can I do to help you? And when you have that mindset of a volunteer, you talk different, you show up different, you give up, give out different energy, you show up on time, you you offer to help and then you, you follow through with what you said you would do. And then all of a sudden it's inspiring to other people and then they step up to the plate. So that seems to be real... It's a hot topic right now. Yeah. A lot of times it just takes one person to change that too. Yes. Isn't it amazing though, uh, where we were two months ago and, and, and now, and, and you know, I don't know what's going on in Nevada, but we're kind of waiting, we're, we're kind of waiting for our governor to kind of lay the hammer for another couple of weeks. And, um, you know, people are starting to push back a little bit. On oh, it. now we're going through a different phase because now we have a mayor that says, open up Las Vegas, open up yeah, Las I heard Vegas. heard about that, yeah. And our governor is saying, uh, no, not yet. So um, we are such a heavily tourist um, place. Our workforce is so heavily dependent upon tourism that mm-hmm. it's really affecting our city. I mean, every city is affected, but Vegas is seems to be really um, – really affected by people not being able to go to work. And so there's a fight out there about we have to be safe and we have to be smart. And then others are like, let's get back to work. So right now it's a hotbed of controversy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, usually at the end of every interview, this one uh, not being any different, I'm going to ask you uh, five questions that have nothing to do with your business. They are very, very simple questions. Just the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. Nothing, nothing controversial, just to, to get people to understand just some of the fun, basic stuff about Marilyn Sherman. Okay. So uh, as an example, Marilyn, question number one, what is your favorite food? Um, 
Well, I love a good New York strip. Um, cooked medium well, because I don't like any pink in it. And, um, and I love it with the blue cheese crumbles on top that melt. Oh, that's really good. But my, yeah, favorite, and- my favorite meal of all time was in France at the, near, at the base of uh, Mont Blanc um, in a little town called Charmony. And I was served a uh, foie gras. A foie gras, seared mm-hmm. foie gras with like rhubarb chutney. It was the best meal I've ever had in my life. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a foie gras. I'm pro foie gras. It, uh, that's wow. good. It's not yeah. something we eat in quarantine, but I'm just saying that'll make <laughs> your mouth water. <laughs> yeah. And you got some great steakhouses out there. Yes. Uh, yeah. But you probably don't go to the strip unless you're working, right? I mean, uh, unless you're doing a presentation at a hotel. Being a being a townie, so to speak. Well, we used to have date night at the poker room in the Venetian every Friday and Saturday night, and then that got expensive, so we don't do that. But um, no, we I love living in Las Vegas, and I yeah. can't wait for it to reopen again because we do like going to the Strip. Do you? Okay. It's more than just a convention town. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having uh, having been to Las Vegas. So often, uh, I've ventured out uh, away from the strip, and yeah. yeah, there are just some really, uh, you know, it, it looks like suburbia anywhere else now. I like out, to say when know. you're off the strip by like two blocks, you're in any town USA. But I'm I'm on True. the third floor of my um, my home, and I can literally see the mountains. I mean, they're just so beautiful right now. And then I have a rooftop deck, and I've got a 360 view of the city of Las Vegas, so I see the mountains surrounding our beautiful valley, and then. And I can see the strip. It's absolutely stunning. It's beautiful mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's getting into hot season, though. Yes, right? it is. Yeah, yes, it yeah. Is. May, June, it'll start kicking in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. Now I know that you've you've traveled the world, uh, speaking on front row uh, leadership and and front row personal enrichment and whatnot. Where in the world have you not been? that you still have on your bucket list. I've never been to Australia. Oh, that's mine too. Oh, yeah. I, love, I love the idea of going to Australia and speaking in Australia. That's definitely on my bucket list. Okay. So they've never asked you to come down and, and speak, uh, speak uh, down under. So to not speak. yet, not yet, but I'm, I'm sure that's going to come true for sure. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. Uh, question number three, uh, are you the cook in the family or is Eve? Have you met me? <laughs> um, Eve, I'm so blessed. Eve cooks for me breakfast, lunch, or dinner, whatever I need, whatever I want. And now that we're in quarantine, we don't do three meals a day, but we, he definitely cooks me breakfast in the morning and dinner at night every single day. And I sometimes help out. Lately, I've been making a really good Cobb salad. There's that blue cheese again. <laughs> um, There's a theme there. There's a theme there. <laughs> but he is, he is the cook. He, he's definitely the cook. He's blessed with that, and he does it with love. So. And I know that he's, uh, he's from France originally. Uh-huh. And, and uh-huh. does he, uh, yeah, does he, uh, does he cook up, like, awesome crepes and stuff like that? Um, he's got a great <laughs> wine cellar. This is from his family's estate, Chateau Belgrave in Pouillac. And so we've got beautiful lamps made out of these bottles. So that bottle, um, that huge bottle was for a different thing I was talking about the other day. Uh, he does like to do sauces. So when we have New York strip, he will actually make one of those beautiful butter sauces and put it on the steak. Um, he makes all our salad dressings from scratch and makes beautiful salads. And he, he peels the tomatoes and he, um, they macerate 
in the homemade salad dressing every mm-hmm. night. So, so he does that. He doesn't do the rich sauces for me like he used to just because I'm trying to lose weight. <laughs> so we're cutting down on those sauces. So we have really fresh salads, um, a good healthy balance of protein and vegetables in the house. Okay. So tell me one thing about Las Vegas that, uh, People that aren't from there or have not settled there probably don't know about Las Vegas. It's a beautiful city. It really is. I mean, there's people see Vegas and they just think of casinos and they think of the movie The Hangover. And they don't think that we have churches and schools and, you know, communities. And so literally I'm looking outside my window and there's a, a charter school right next door. So I'm looking at an American flag and I'm looking at a beautiful playground that does not have any children in it today. I miss the, the laughing and the screaming of the children next door. But, um, but it's just a beautiful community of really big hearted people. And, and there's not a lot of people that are born and raised. There are some, That's but right. so many people have relocated here because it's such a, a beautiful place to live. And it all started with a casino uh, with organized crime, right? Yes. Turned into into all that other stuff too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, the Tropicana, I believe, was the first. I uh, thought it was the flamingo. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I was the. I thought it was the trap, but on second thought, you. Oh, here's something that you may not know. Hmm. Um, The you were not allowed to have advertisements. Um, of your casinos on billboards. So what they did was they named their casinos after the streets. So that's why you had the Desert Inn off of Desert Inn. That's why you had the Flamingo off of Flamingo Avenue. That's why you had the Tropicana off of Tropicana because you could put a sign that says Tropicana next exit. And so there would be the Tropicana Casino. So that's a fun fact that you may not know. That is. That's a very cool fact because, you know, uh, Vegas has, you know, it's kind of like they they have all these things, but they don't necessarily want you to, or at least – Early on uh, in the development of it, they didn't want you to uh, kind of think that there was stuff going on. Maybe I mean, like uh, like the street for the casino. What's the big deal? Right. You know, name it whatever you want to name it. Right. Well, also, um, do you know where the term when you you know how you get kicked out of a casino? Well, not you or me, but you know how some people get kicked out and they call it. Do you know what they call it when you're kicked out of a casino? Uh, the bums rush. No, they call it your eighty sixth. Okay. Right? Okay. So do you know why that that means 86, why they came up with that term? I don't. Rumor has it that when you did that, they took you eight miles out of town and mm. put you six feet under. Oh. Rumor has it. I do not know that for a fact. Okay. Rumor has it that's how they came up with the term, you're 86 from the place. Urban legend. Has Urban legend. It, right? You heard it here first. All right. <laughs> Very good. So, uh Last question. Who uh, have you met? Well, let me backtrack a little bit. Do you still get starstruck? And if so, who are you starstruck by maybe that you've had a chance to meet? Um, I, uh, I am starstruck. Well, I, I've been a huge, big, huge, big, huge, huge fan of Elton John since I was. Oh, okay. And uh, my good friend, um, 
uh, he's a photographer. His name is Jonathan Carmichael. And he um, grew up in Vegas. Now he's sort of living in a van as a nomad right now because he's an um, artist and he takes photography of the stars. And he had an amazing um, YouTube video about the alignment for the total eclipse of the sun. Mm-hmm. And he went on a Southwest Airlines flight. It's an amazing story. People should look that up. And he has this print. of It's like the perfect picture from the eclipse. Anyway, he does this this artwork and he was able to um, somehow get catch the eye of Elton John because Elton John collects photography and he was able to show off his photography before it was even originally printed. And by the time he literally had a meeting at Elton John's place here in Vegas, um, he had, he just received all of the prints because they have to be printed on special materials. And he was showing Elton John on an iPad and he said, well, do you have them? And he said, well, I, I have them downstairs in a U-Haul. And he goes, well, bring them up. And Jonathan hadn't even seen them yet. So as they were opening up all of his, his original photography, Elton John was just like shaking his head and at the end of this meeting, Elton John bought every single one of his pieces. Wow. So I have not met Elton John, but I, I'm, I'm one degree closer to him. Yeah. yeah. But I would be in total, uh, I would be starstruck if I ever saw him in person. In yeah. Person. Yeah. I've gotten better as I've gotten older, but there still are a few people that I would be starstruck by. Some of them have passed away, like Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Um, oh. Yeah. I would love to. Uh, well, who have you met? That- who have you met? Uh, well, uh, Jim Valvano. Uh, oh, Jimmy V. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. You were talking. You talked about the front row earlier, mm-hmm. and one of the first front row experiences I had. And this is twenty-five years before I met you. Uh, I had a front row experience with Jim Valvano. He spoke at a uh, Little Caesars convention, oh. and it was right after they had won the NCAA tournament. So he was a hot commodity. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he went up and he spoke. And this is before he got sick and all that. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's a bigger bigger than life person for sure. Well, people that are listening to this podcast should literally right now stop everything and go to um, YouTube and just Google um, Jimmy V, ES, the ESPY um, yep. award speech because mm-hmm. uh, he had already been diagnosed with cancer. He already knew he was dying. And he's like – they're telling me to wrap up. I've got cancer and I've got months to live. I am not stopping because I need to say this. It's an amazing, it's an amazing speech. Yeah, it really is. The yeah. Jimmy V Foundation. Yeah, it's uh, incredible. Yeah. yeah, so, and I've met a lot of uh, Detroit sports figures. Uh, one of my good friends growing up was a, a Detroit Piston ball boy. Mm. And this is back when the Pistons were the bad boys. So I got a chance to meet all the bad boys, Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars and Bill Wayne Beer. All guy, I've, you know, I met my share of, of Detroit Tigers as well. Mm. The last brush I had with a celebrity where I was a little starstruck, I saw Ted dancing at, at LAX. <laughs> Him funny. and his wife. Right. That's funny. Uh, yeah, Mary Sternberg. Mary Sternberg. Yes, correct. And they were heading to Detroit, I guess, oh. for a fundraiser of some kind. Yeah, but uh, there was Ted Danson, bigger than life. You know. That's funny. Well, yeah. I played poker with Earl Hershiser. Hey, you know what? I don't know if this part of it will ever make it to uh, you know to to the podcast, but uh, I 
played baseball with Oral Hershiser's brother, uh, and they grew up in the Metro Detroit area. And oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, the Hershiser's. Uh, his dad owned a business in Detroit, and uh, Oral went to Bowling Green, but they grew up in the Detroit area, and, and uh, Gordy was his brother. And, um, yeah, so Gordy and I, we had a couple of summers where we hung out uh, quite a bit. He was a pitcher. Well, Oral, um, and he's a regular at the, one of the casinos here, and I was playing regularly, and uh, his wife also played, and we became friends. And then one time I was at a table with Oral, and somebody thought I was his wife. And, and then when Oral left, they started asking me questions about, so what's up with um, him trying to buy the Dodgers? Why didn't he, you know? And, and I'm like, you know what? I don't know. He, he hasn't told me that. And someone else said, it's probably because of the money. I'm like, I don't know. And someone says, you don't ask a woman about her husband's finances. And I'm like, what? I'm not his wife. <laughs> his wife is over there. It was the funniest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kirk Gibson would be another person that I met. Um and you may be familiar with him as well. So, well, being in the speaker and you know the speaker world, we I, we do share stages with pretty cool people. Yeah, um, yeah. I you know you're a hockey fan, so was Ross Bernstein. You know one of your previous guests, but um, yeah. one of the whole brothers was uh, was speaking at the same event I was speaking at, and um, and I'm not a big hockey fan. I did, I've only been to one hockey game in my life, and I couldn't believe that Zamboni would come up and stop the game to clean up all the blood. And I'm like, this is an interesting sport. <laughs> and um, so yes. it, I don't think, but I kept calling him Norm and his name wasn't Norm only because I know a guy named Norm Hull. And it was so funny because I, because I wasn't a fan, I, I got his name wrong. And he just thought that was the funniest thing because I guess the Blackhawks are the, the team that had the whole brothers. And there, there was a, a nephew yep. that went on to big fame in hockey. Brett. Um, yep. but, yeah. Yeah. But, but these two brothers, boy, that was a lot of fun. So, um, Oh, but my favorite, my favorite NFL player of all time. Um, do you remember the Tyler Rose from the Houston Oilers back in the day? Um, Earl Campbell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyler, Texas. The Tyler, Texas. They called him That's the Tyler right. Rose. He was one of the greats, man. One of the absolute greats. Because he would just pound through the defense and go and score touchdowns and put the football on the ground and run back to the huddle or to the sideline. He never showboated. And when he was doing one of these autograph sessions at one of the sports memorabilia stores at uh, one of the casinos in town, I just, like, I had to go and I had to sit down and have a conversation with him. And there were no other fans around, so we had a talk. And I just, like... I idolized you growing up. You were one of the best players I'd ever seen. So help me understand how you got to be so uh, humble in your play. And he said, well, when I was in high school, I scored a touchdown and I did a, a fun touchdown dance to rub it in. And my dad sat me down after the game and he said, if you ever do that again, son, I will never show up at your game again. And his dad taught him the lesson to be good at what you do and don't, mm -hmm. and don't be bragging about it. You just show it with your actions. So that's why he was so humble. He just did his job as that workhorse, those thighs, right? I mean, he that's was a right. strong, strong, strong running back. And he, he did his thing and, um, and then just went back and just did, did it again, right? He, there was no showboating. There was no Sharpie in the sock to sign autographs <laughs> in the end zone. <laughs> that uh, that's a very similar story uh, to Barry Sanders, mm. uh, who would kind of do the same thing. Where he his dad taught him real early, don't 
don't showboat. So for all those years that he played with the Lions, he scored a touchdown and he just yeah. handed it to the, uh, to the referee. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, okay. Uh, now, how, if uh, somebody would like to have Marilyn Sherman, once we get out of COVID-19 yes. and, and, and we get back to conferences, yes. how do they uh, get a hold of you? It's real easy. MarilynSherman.com is my website and I'm front row Marilyn on Instagram and front row girl on Twitter. And um, yeah, I'm all over the place. Just Marilyn Sherman, Marilyn like Marilyn Monroe and Sherman like the tank. It's pretty easy to remember. Is there a dot in the middle? MarilynSherman.com. Okay. There's no Marilyn.Sherman. No, MarilynSherman.com. Or if you can't remember that, be in the front row.com. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I got to do is, uh, uh, for those of you listening out there and easy, there you go. (laughs) An easy Google search. Uh, yeah. yeah, And Marilyn Sherman will pop up there. So yeah, yeah, it's been great, uh, to, to have you, uh, you know, an hour plus and it just, you know, it just kind of flew by. So well, it's always it. nice to see you and always nice to, to talk to you. I love your energy and enthusiasm and you just keep going out and doing what you're doing. You're, you're just amazing. So keep up the great work and congratulations you. on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, don't forget about me, listeners. <laughs> we talked about Maryland, but don't forget about me, drawstalks.com. And, uh, and if you go on Amazon, my books are there. Uh, inspired how our differences are changing the workplace introduction done by my guest here Marilyn and uh, leadership one golden nugget at a time so thanks a lot and uh, everybody out there in podcast land take care bye for now bye-bye you have been listening to the draws cast podcast inspiration motivation and leadership with an attitude be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform And head over to his YouTube channel, The Draws, and do the same. Want more? Go to DrawsTalks.com for more great information and to find out how to book Draws for your next event. And check out Draws' latest book, Leadership, One Golden Nugget at a Time. Tune in next time for more of The Draws Cast Podcast.